Hello and welcome here with Holistic Investments, and I'm your host, Konstantin Kogan. And it's my pleasure today to have another amazing guest, Mason Borda, who's a CEO and co-founder of Tokensoft. Uh, Tokensoft is the market leader in launching and supporting compliance security token sales through its wide-label uh, SaaS token sales platform. Uh, uh, Mason is an expert in blockchain compliance. He works closely with a lot of institutional uh, projects. He, their platform raised more than $1 billion in and they have uh, a lot of great and big partnership, which we're going to talk about today. But that will be all, you know, inside, you know, the conversation. And for now, uh, I want to throw traditionally a legal disclaimer. So this content is for informational purposes only. Should not construe any such information or any other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. So whatever we're telling you with Mason, just like take it as a conversation, a friendly suggestion and opinion now we can talk about anything else other because you're very much into compliance mason so welcome and let's talk about you awesome well uh thanks so much for having me um yeah i started in the uh in the crypto space in in 2013 um initially i i came across bitcoin i thought the technology was very fascinating and at face value i was i was you know after reading the white paper i was like this bitcoin thing is never going to work uh, it's too slow and the price keeps moving and, you know, how's it supposed to be a peer to peer payments network? And so, um, I started, you know, trying to build a dollar based blockchain at my first pass. So I learned to code and, and get familiar with the tech in the space, uh, went on to work at Bitco on custody solutions there. Uh, and so that was uh, a lot of fun. That was my first crypto job and, uh, learned a ton and, uh, started Tokensoft in 2017. And uh, we, we set out to, you know, people were launching tokens and they were either missing the scalability aspect of it, websites would crash, they were missing the cybersecurity aspect of it, and so people were getting hacked or they weren't following the compliance uh, part of it. And so we sort of set up a platform to solve those three problems and we've been launching tokens ever since uh, 2017. That's perfect. So, so let's start with maybe the basics for someone who's listening to you and like, you know, they're not familiar of the difference between utility and security token, maybe like a one minute crush course, the major difference. Yeah. Um, I guess from a, a regulatory perspective, we just see it as tokens that are uh, launched and treated like, like Bitcoin um, as they move about. And then there's tokens that are treated as securities as they move about. Um, for the first pass, you know, if you're doing a token and, and launching a token, there are securities laws that you have to comply with. Um, and so, you know, all the projects that we launch, uh, do that. And then, um, there are for security tokens, there are securities laws, you know, at launch and during trading. And so we've had to build some core infrastructure to bring that to fruition. Now, if we're talking about security laws, right? We have security laws in each particular country where like investors reside. So if you have investors, let's say from 100 different countries, so you have to have multi-jurisdictional uh, consideration, right? Of each security laws in each particular respected country, right? Whether it's United States or con any country in Europe. So how do you make sure this is uh, taken into account? Yeah, so I think we had the good fortune of trying to tackle the most complex uh, regulatory structure uh, in, in all of finance. Uh, and so very quickly, we learned that, you know, it's not enough to comply with securities laws in the US. Like when we're helping our customers launch tokens, we uh, may have to help them comply in other jurisdictions internationally. And so what does that mean? That means, you know, in the US, um, investors have to be treated in a particular way. You have to collect certain pieces of information. In certain cases, you have to make sure they're accredited investors when they're investing in something. And when you go internationally, they all, all the different countries have their own laws uh, that they want people to follow uh, when they're either investing in a security or when a company is issuing a security and fundraising. And so, um, that was sort of a fun challenge we got into. We got into sort of helping our customers comply with those laws internationally, country by country. I think the most countries that we've helped automate the onboarding process in was over 50 countries. Mm -hmm. It's about as many countries as there are securities laws that are adaptable to, you know, blockchain based offerings. 
And so um, we yeah, got into the weeds with that. And it's kind of funny, all, all of the laws and all the jurisdictions sort of boil down to five or six rules. Um, so it's not impossible to do that. It's just uh, a lot of work and a lot of diligence that we have to do to make sure it's, it's done right. How big is, it, is your team? Like, cause I'm sure it took time to actually go over like 50 different countries. And even though those like five to six rules, it's, so it was a cumbersome, I assume. You know, what's funny is I think when we did the 50 country thing, that was February, 2018, January, February, 2018, mm -hmm. back then we're either four or five people. So wow. we weren't a big team. We just sort of, we have a lot of ex expertise in architecture and we know how to talk to our lawyers. And so um, I think a combination of that helped us sort of operate in a very lean man manner and move very quickly to, uh, to adapt. Mm -hmm. That's impressive. Like, cause I know a lot of firms paying millions of dollars to actually just to have this legal opinion, right. You know, how to be compliant. Now, if we talk about the practicality of things, right, you know, so I'm sure I mean, we can go into a little bit deeper and you can provide an example of a successful project that you raise money for and you structure them so they'll be compliant with all the jurisdictions. And maybe you can you can brag a little bit about this project. <laughs> yeah. And and just to be clear, we don't help our customers uh, fundraise or, or bring in investments. Um, we more so technology platforms so they can onboard all of their investors, whether it's internationally, uh, it's only outside of the US, whatever that may be. Um, and, you know, we went on in 2018 to build some core infrastructure around actually placing a token that's treated as a security on the blockchain. And so we uh, built that technology around a standard called ERC-1404. So you want to put a security on the blockchain, where do you start? Um, you have to have a way to make sure that only approved or authorized investors can hold the security. And so ERC-1404 ERC uh, is basically a permission token. It's built on ERC-20 and uh, it allows the capability to approve each address to be able to hold the token. So if in a particular country, there's a very specific investor onboarding process, we can help them go through that process uh, and then whitelist that investor's address so they can hold the token. And one very popular uh, customer that we did this with was called INX. Mm -hmm. And so they did IPO. Um, through our platform, they raised about $85 million. Um, in total, they raised, uh, I believe it was over $120 million um, as they went through this process end to end. Um, and they want to do an IPO on the blockchain. Uh, and we basically provided the core backend technology to make that possible. So we had the investor onboarding platform. Uh, we created a custody solution so we could make, so we could do a formal key ceremony and, uh, hold and manage the tokens in the most secure way possible. We created a cold storage offline multi-sig wallet, um, to sort of administer the token. And then we also set up a transfer agent. We built out transfer agent technology and um, we basically worked to help get regulators comfortable with this process. Uh, we worked to help uh, map the blockchain into the SEC regulations as they exist today and, and to bring that token to fruition. So today, uh, INX token has over 9,000 users um, and is trading peer to peer on the blockchain. And um, we're really excited to have you know, helped bring that to fruition. Now, before we go to the topics of like, what's actually the value proposition of doing that? Like, you know, uh, how big is the market of security tokens and in the secondary? Let's, let's talk about like, you know, just the basic principles. Like what, what, what is the difference between like, you know, you have a traditional IPO, right? It's just very popular. You know, you, you go through NASDAQ listing, you, know, you go through auditing process, like, you know, and then what's the basic value proposition for investors to participate in, you know, more tokenized IPO, so to speak? Yeah, I think uh, we can sort of look at the foundational principles of, of the blockchain to begin with. And, you know, any blockchain like Bitcoin or Ethereum is inherently peer to peer. It's inherently global. It's inherently uh, 24 seven. You can move an asset at any time, day, day or night. You can move it between whoever you'd like to. And um, and so those are the foundational principles. And now that we're putting securities on the blockchain, 
um, those same foundational principles are true. And so you can move a security 24-7, whereas in traditional markets, you move them uh, 9 to 5 uh, and only on weekdays. And uh, it also allows the issuer to have a peer-to-peer, uh, -peer, if you will, uh, relationship with uh, their investors or token holders. And so it enables that direct access. It enables that sort of feeling of community and direct connection with the investor base. Mm -hmm. And it allows you know, these securities to settle you know, 24 seven day or night. And so it's definitely a very fascinating technology. Um, and I think it does enable a lot of uh, use cases that you know, existing technology today does not provide. Now, what were like, I would ask you, what were their most challenging parts? So you mentioned that you have to convince the regulators to be comfortable with that, right? So it's always, um, it, it's always hard to be a pioneer in something, right? So I'm sure they had tons of questions. Uh, how would that work? You know, what are the risks, you know, to make sure it's compliant? So maybe guide us like maybe just some of the two or three most challenging parts of this. I think one big component was we put a lot of upfront effort into building a relationship and with educating the SEC. And so we launched, we launched our company at a point in time where the SEC was sort of starting to think, you know, are a lot of these tokens securities? And they were looking to um, learn more and get familiar with, you know, what is the market infrastructure like out there? What are people doing when they're launching a token? Who can help them, uh, you know, comply with regulations? And, and what does that infrastructure look like? And so we built a relationship with them and we were invited frequently to do tech talks. Um, and so there were various, uh, you know, components of technology they were interested in. And we were happy to sort of leverage our pre-existing expertise in, you know, custody, uh, and uh, sort of adapting the blockchain to into the regulations to help uh, communicate that. So it was a mix of educating them on, you know, what is the most secure way to bring, you know, the global securities market onto the blockchain? How should you uh, think about custody? How should you think about treating these securities securely? And, and what are the risks? And so a lot of those risks, we built technology to help, you know, reduce. And so I guess one major challenge was education. Mm -hmm. The second, the second part of it was, um, I, I sort of see the mapping of the blockchain today into regulations, sort of a puzzle. And so a lot of it was, you know, we want to do a, enable a particular activity on the blockchain. And so what are the four or five architectures that we can implement in order to make that activity compliant with today's regulation? And so I think a lot of it is, I call this sort of legal R&D. It's just um, the engineering team, myself, uh, speaking with our council and trying to understand, you know, what are the core requirements that have to exist? And then how can we package the technology to meet those requirements um, as, a, as a product solution? And so that's sort of the second part is how do you package tech? How do you build it so it meets today's regulations as they are? Mm -hmm. I would say the third was the, the third uh, sort of challenge comes when, you know, actually educating the SEC and trying to get through the registration process, you know, trying to get our transfer agent license. And uh, that involved explaining to them, you know, sometimes just how the blockchain works and, you know, how does our ERC 1404 standard uh, prevents, you know, having two securities if there's a blockchain fork. That was one common objection we got, you want to put securities on the blockchain, well, blockchain's fork. Are we going to have two securities now? Uh, what happens if someone's wallet gets hacked? Uh, you know, are you just going to let everyone's, you know, securities get hacked? And so um, there was a lot of questions like this, and we worked hard to sort of educate them on, you know, why this technology actually is better, um, why we think it's the future and why we think that you know, they should like uh, seeing securities move onto the blockchain. You know, now you have uh, the compliance inherently built in to the blockchain. And so you can prevent unauthorized or, you know, non-compliant transactions. And you can sort of automate that, allow the, the tokens to transfer 24-7 uh, and have a more vibrant, uh, you know, ecosystem and market out there. So, you know, in the end, it seemed like uh, everyone warmed up to the idea and they were very interested in, you know, what the technology provided. 
It's interesting because, uh, you know, I, I, I believe like there are, there are multiple ways how we can look at it, right? You know, how the, on the fundraising aspect and being legal and compliant. And, you know, right now, I, I just, before we started, I looked at the coin market cap just to make sure I'm still on track. How many, uh, coins are there just listed? Like it was, and the, the number was staggering. We're talking about 21,000, you know, like, uh, uh, different coins. So, right. I I'm convinced that most of them are not doing it in a legal and compliant way, right? So, so let's talk about like some of the more more I would say critical parts of this. So, I'm gonna go to an example as Avalanche, right? So, on uh, your website, you marked that on July 15, 2020, you did 40, like you helped uh, to basically facilitate the raise of uh, Avalanche, which is a you know pretty big blockchain infrastructure, and you know. 42 million dollar was raised right and the combination of like you helping like you know using the token soft as a platform and for like the average uh ticket per person was 3800 there was 11k registered sale users um etc cetera, etc cetera. so there the details are there now let's talk about the practicality if i would talk to a person who invested in avalanche or now using their ecosystem i doubt that they would um probably somehow like consider it as a security they would probably say it's a it's a platform token which is closer to utility narrative right you as a as a platform that is compliant you know with different jurisdictions you would still consider it as a not a security token offering but something close it's like a hybrid model so let's let's demystify those things because i think that that's where the confusion might come from yeah, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance here because uh, we have a lot of folks come to us and say, you know, why would I want to sell my token as a security? Um, because, exactly. you know, able to get into all the exchanges and all the infrastructure that's there for, you know, tokens like Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, a lot of the innovators in the space that are launching tokens, um, just like like Avalanche, um, wants the tokens to be distributed, decentralized, you know, be movable peer to peer, um, just like Bitcoin and Ethereum. And um, I guess the way that I would put it is that uh, there are two phases of a token. One is when you're actually selling it. So when an issuer is selling a token to investors out there, that's sort of the first phase of the life cycle of the token. The second phase is when the token is actually out there and it's moving around. And so I would sort of decouple those two phases. Uh, when you look at a token like INX, that's a security at sale. And then it's intended to be treated as a security uh, during trading and transfer later on as well. Mm -hmm. For the tokens uh, like Avalanche, we sort of service them at the point of sale. And so we ensure they comply with securities laws at point of sale, which is a conservative thing to do. Um, if you are you know, launching a token and uh, you are more conservative, uh, you're thinking more long-term, how can I make sure there's less you know, corporate risk? Um, it's good to comply with securities laws uh, wherever you can, wherever practical and wherever you know, your counsel guides you to do so. Um, it's not for, for uh, you know, me to say. Um, and, uh, during the second phase, we don't actually have any parts in that with tokens like Avalanche. And so um, the tokens sort of get distributed, they um, are, are launched uh, in any case. Um, and for that phase, it seems like uh, the, the legal community is saying, you know, those tokens are distributed, um, they're out there, and um, at that point, they're, they're not a security. Um, and I think there's a big gray area there because he hasn't provided explicit mm -hmm. guidance. Um, but a lot of the products that we do, we help them comply with securities laws at point of sale. Um, and then after the fact, when they're being distributed, um, they may get treated in a variety of ways based on their council's guidance. And it's interesting because, again, you, there was a fixed price and there the mechanics were that, you know, you, you do KYC for every investor correct right so there will there's no option to actually get into the deal without uh, the gig which is which is great that's that means you know exactly who is buying and where they're buying from then if you get audited you 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 will be able to kind of reply to who's sold in your token but the tricky part is yeah. that 
as the moment it, it is listed on centralized exchanges and then decentralized exchanges, right? Then it's like, then the rules are off, right? Because like anyone can buy it, anyone can trade it, anyone can manipulate the price. And then, you know, I'm not even talking about that layer two infrastructure that is built on top of Avalanche, right? You know, so which is a completely different story, right? So I, I'm just curious, like on a practical side of things, like, you know, some of the folks who were asking me about your project, right? You know, and they're asking me, so, okay, so they're like, are there like a seed invest of crypto? Like, you know, did they help to raise money, like just in a compliant way for US customers? Because if they don't, why would I use them for non-US customers? So I want to, I wanted to challenge you with some of the basic questions and maybe you can go further. Yeah. You know, blockchain and, and crypto in general is something that was very grassroots since inception. Um, so Bitcoin is something that sort of emerged in a very grassroots way. A developer put it out there. Other people slowly learned about it. They were like, oh, this is novel. This is interesting. And, uh, you know, more and more people adopted it and built tools around it over time and, and built market infrastructure around it as well to allow for purchase of Bitcoin and, you know, wallets to now enable transfer of Bitcoin. And so um, the and, and I would say that the best projects that we uh, we see employ that sort of ethos today. And so um, they are projects that will spend a lot of time educating a community, building an organic community over time. And then at some point, you know, they're going to have, uh, you know, a token that they roll out on mainnet uh, they, that gets out there. And so I would say, you know, if a issuer's expectation is uh, for our platform or for any platform out there to help them with the fundraising, it's sort of missing the point of, of crypto. You know, the point of crypto is that, you know, you actually have innovative tech. It's interesting. It does something new and different. And people surround your project because they think the technology is novel and interesting. And so... You know, if if a project goes and someone brings fun, you know, investors in and they bring in, let's say, you know, $10 million, um, it's it's sort of that's sort of what happened in traditional markets. I feel like uh, with, you know, with IPOs, with traditional fundraisers in the world of crypto, it's more about um, sort of building something new, building something innovative and having people come in, you know, based on the merits of the tech. And so. That, that's sort of like how I see it. And so like with every project that, that we help launch, uh, we try to make sure that, you know, we educate them on like, hey, the most important thing is that everyone knows how your tech works. They know how, you know, your application works um, and that, you know, they, they're familiar with, you know, what you guys are building. And it's, it's more about sort of building that organic community and following versus, uh, you know, the, the actual fundraise. The fundraise is more so a way to, uh, get pe people engaged. Um, mm -hmm. We saw a huge from 2017, 2018 from really large check sizes uh, per investor. And we saw that average come down a lot. So with Avalanche, you saw the average check size was 3,800. Up until last year, we saw an average check size hover between 3,000 and 500. And I think that signals that the crypto space has, you know, sort of realized that this is not as much about fundraising as it is sort of like building that initial community and doing it through a token sale where there is sort of some exchange of money um, just helps make sure that people are there for the right reasons. They're bought in, they're serious. Um, and so that's sort of what's happened in the space over time. And that's sort of how we, how we see it. Now, one of the narratives that you're providing is like you're a fair launch platform, right? You know, so, um, I, I, I want to make sure that there is also no cognitive dissonance in this side, because like a lot of people who are like thinking about like fair launch, similar like balancer or any other other like things, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to get in. It's like completely decentralized and I can just buy in in a certain price points, right? Where it's beneficial, like for me. And that's like, it's like a type of ICO slash IDO just on steroids, right? And, and, and you know, and then you have some multiples, you get some tokens that are unlocked, you can speculate and sell them, or you can hold them and stake them, whatever you want to do, right? The question is, in your case, I assume it's a very, very different narrative. Like the, the fair launch, I think that in your definition, the fair launch of the definition of people who think about the balancer of the world, right? You know, will be very, very different, right? So let's also explain the distinction from this side. 
You're asking very good questions. <laughs> and so the, <laughs> the fair launch concept sort of came about um, in, I believe it was maybe 2018. Yeah. And it was a 2018 or 2020, I think 2020 became really popular. And the reason was, you know, they were sort of uh, looking at Bitcoin and saying, there was no fundraise for Bitcoin. Uh, it was just people mined it or they started, you know, playing around with it. And um, that was sort of a fair launch. There was no fundraise, which is usually seen as, you know, hard to get into, exclusive, only people with significant capital uh, can get in. And so this fair launch concept uh, was adapted sort of from those Bitcoin principles. And it was to sort of say, hey, we're a new token, we're a new token project, and we want our token out there. And we're not going to fundraise for it. Uh, we're just going to give it out to people. And that way it's fair. And, uh, you know, we sort of saw this happening and we were like, you know what, this doesn't seem fair. It looks like projects that are lower quality are adopting uh, this methodology of just giving out tokens and sort of trying to paint it with fair launch to show that, you know, they are of, uh, you know, good moral standards. And, um, uh, and, and so I think when I, when I saw that, I was like, you know, this isn't quite working because it's getting gamed. Uh, these communities are full of bots, they're full of speculators, and people are just trying to flip the tokens. And that's not good for the projects, and it's not good for uh, the general community. And so I, I thought the first iteration of Fair Launch sort of did not provide the intended effect. And, uh, you know, in watching our customers launch, what we learned was, um, you know, we're actually doing a better job. We're sort of doing a fair launch 2.0 and it's actually making these communities fair. And, you know, why, why is using TokenSoft the fair way of launching a token? Well, you know, I was like, we sort of ch uh, check that box because number one, uh, we ensure that there are no bots um, that are sort of gaming the system. And so, you know, you see a lot of communities out there and they have, uh, I don't know, they have a crazy amount of, of followers on Twitter and Discord. And I think we saw this with the Aptos launch, the wallet had hundreds of thousands of downloads at launch. And uh, anytime a number is too good to be true in crypto, uh, it, it probably is. And the reason that, you know, some of these numbers are so high is because people are setting up bots to either purchase a lot of allocations uh, in a certain sale, or they're setting up bots to download a wallet at scale uh, so they can get as much of an airdrop as possible. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't think is, uh, we think it's a little bit disingenuous uh, because uh, a lot of those, that user base that, you know, the issuer sees as sort of a virtue is largely not real. And so we realized like our platform was making, was really good at making sure only real users get into sales. Uh, only, you know, these real users can have sort of a fair allocation. So there's not one big investor that's coming in, getting a really big allocation and then selling it on the market before, you know, the smaller users. And so we realized our platform is really good at that. It's really good at making sure that the community is a little bit more healthy. It's really good at making sure community members are longer term thinkers. We launched a couple new concepts. Um, so obviously time-based vesting is something that's very common out there uh, with, with uh, tokens or with you know, investments as well, where you know, it's the concept where uh, you, you purchase something or you're given a, a token and it doesn't fully unlock on day one. It sort of operates like employee equity where, you know, maybe there's four year vesting mm -hmm. and it's not unlocked after one year. And so you don't truly own it before that one year. And after that one year, now you truly own it and you can maybe go sell a chunk of it or, you know, keep it uh, if you're long term minded. And so we started rolling out lockups for our customers. Um, we started rolling out, you know, as, as a technology, we started rolling out uh, the concept of, you know, what if uh, you could purchase a token, but the per but the token only unlocked at a certain Oracle price. So for example, mm -hmm. what if there was a purchase of a token, but it only unlocked when Bitcoin hit previous all-time highs? 
uh, at 70K. And so wouldn't, be, wouldn't that be a great way to sort of ensure that people were long-term holders and long-term minded and uh, you know, truly understood the projects uh, they were investing in, they truly understood um, you know, how the technology works and they were sort of bought into you know, subscribing to these projects on, mm -hmm. on a longer term horizon. That's how we see the fair launch uh, and how it should be. And that's why we started you know, using that messaging because we, we do think that we're enabling uh, fair, authentic, more real communities out there. And that's uh, on the whole better for both the project developers as well as for the community members that are out there today. Now, if we go to the nitty gritty of this process, right? So let's imagine I'm a project, right? And I'm interested in what you're, uh, what you're providing. I want to raise whatever. My, my goal is to raise $20 million, right? And I want to set up a, in a compliant legal way. Now, what you're saying, you're not helping to raise money. You, I need to drive traffic to, to the platform, whatever we set up the platform. You help to, uh, provide the infrastructure, right? You know, the technology and to make sure it's legal and compliant. Now, um, I don't know if it's confidential information or not, but like, uh, what, what are the, the timelines and the pricing, like, you know, so for, for such services, like you can give a range and obviously it's per project, project by project, I'm sure it's different, right? But at least a range for a project to, uh, understand what they're dealing with. Because it's one thing when you're raising a small round of like a seed, two to five million, uh, maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe there are other ways to to do that, right? Or it's another story when you're raising more a series A or like next consecutive or, or a big fair launch raise of 40 million, right? Then you can afford like a, a, like more expensive infrastructure and making sure it's uh, uh, it's to the, to the certain level, right? So let's talk about the timeline and the pricing, please. Yep. And uh, just to start out, um, I always tell customers or prospective customers, it only really makes sense to use us if, number one, yeah, you want to follow, uh, follow regulations. And uh, number two, if you want to sort of scale the process, whether it's for a fundraise, whether it's just for a token distribution, we sort of help to get to the scale because, um, you know, it's sort of hard to manage paperwork and compliance for 10,000 users. And a lot of our customers do have, you know, 10 to 50,000 users coming in to engage in a uh, token sale or token distribution, whatever, you know, form it may take. And um, when it comes to sort of like timelines and pricing, we've been at this for about five years now, so we can move pretty quickly. So, uh, you know, if we need to move in one weeks to two weeks for a customer, we can. It's really important that customers spend a lot of time on community building uh, because you know if there's not a large community out there then no one's going to know about the project and that's sort of an important component and in terms of pricing i can't get into specifics but i would say that it only makes sense for projects to come to us you know if they've already done a seed round mm -hmm. or a series a and the reason is that, you know, just to afford the, the uh, legal team and the lawyers uh, and counsel to get through, you know, any token distribution process is quite expensive um, to, you know, process tens of thousands of users, you know, for us is expensive as well. And so I would make sure there's sort of a couple uh, perhaps fundraising rounds under the belts uh, before engaging in this. So, you know, if a product has raised, let's say anywhere from four to 10 million uh, already, that's the point at which it makes sense to engage in a process like this. Because, uh, you know, these projects are going to do this once, they're going to want to do it right. Um, they have investors that are obviously long-term thinkers that are high quality. And so uh, they want, you know, the their portfolio companies to follow the regulations. They want them to do it right the first time if they're sort of getting a token out there and they want them to build a authentic community. And so those are the points at which it makes sense to, you know, come talk to TokenSoft and, and see what's possible. So let's talk about other uh, different scenarios. So I'll give you one scenario where the company is raising equity round and they will have token warrants, right? So the token will come into play a little bit later, right? So is this a good customer for you? So, and this would be for a seed round? 
let's imagine either seed or series A, whatever. Seed probably too early because you mentioned that, right? So I assume series A would be probably more reasonable. But let's imagine series A, 10 to 20 million. They already raised seeds yep. and then they're now doing, but they did it in, in equity, right? So now they're raising another round. The to there's no tokens yet. There's only token warrants, which come into play a little bit later, right? But they still want to raise an equity round. So does it even make sense to go to you guys? Yeah, so anytime, uh, I, I would say it makes sense to use us if there's a large scale of users. Mm -hmm. And so if this product only had, uh, was expecting, I don't know, 10 investors or 25 investors, then I would say, you know, hey, it really doesn't make sense to use us for the scale. Um, it, you know, it wouldn't be worth the money to to sort of use us. Uh, the point at which it makes sense is uh, the point at which uh, they want to fundraise. They want to fundraise from, I would say, over uh, 100 to 200 investors. Uh, now, I wouldn't say it's economical to to use us at that point, but that's the point at which, you know, the paperwork becomes hard to manage. And so I would say that's sort of like the threshold for the process becoming unmanageable. Um, and then at that point, we can sort of help scale the compliance process. Uh, but more importantly, we also help scale the legal automation process. There's a lot of documents that have to be signed, executed, and that's a big portion of what we do. And because we are sort of uh, anchored in helping people comply with securities laws, um, we can help uh, scale that process regardless of the instrument that's being sold. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's equity, it's a token that needs to be treated as security, it's a warrant, you know, whatever it is, we can sort of help scale that process and, and make it a much more quicker, leaner process for, for, the, for the customer. Great. So now let's imagine a second scenario I'll provide you. So imagine a company already raised money in a token round, um, whatever it may be, like a million, 10 million, doesn't matter. So it already has a token that is listed on exchanges, whether it's centralized or decentralized exchanges, both. Now they want to do a second level of uh, raise, right? You know, like, and then the tokens distributed, everything fine. They're operating black and white. Um, but obviously they didn't do it in a compliant format the first time, right? And now they're coming into to understanding, okay, well, maybe we did something not 100% right. Uh, they tried, but, you know, some, some founders coming from a developer background or product people, the background, so they just literally didn't know. Now they want to come and do it in a proper way. Would you even accept this type of client? Does this project have a uh, legitimate law firm they're working with? let's let's imagine yes <laughs> yeah so i think i think the problem here is um you know if compliance isn't followed uh when the token first gets out there uh this becomes a little bit of a cleanup job um so uh this may be called out there might be called regulatory remediation or um you know maybe they need to take the existing token holder base through a compliance gate and I feel like we may have done jobs like this before. And usually what happens is the people that are holding the token are now instructed to come send the token to a wallet where it's burned. They may have to sign some paperwork. And from there, they might have to sign some new paperwork um, that gives them a new token in a new format. And um, that's usually what we see in cases like this. Uh, and so it's more of a like, you put the token out there, it's moving around. You're not sure if you followed the, the right compliance program or the right regulations the first time. And so you need to sort of do a little bit of a cleanup and you need to sort of rein in all the tokens that are out there and issue a new token in a new format and new regulatory sort of structure. And so we've seen stuff like that before and uh, we're happy to help if, you know, it's the right, if it's a legal team that's, uh, you know, well-versed uh, in the world of, of compliance, securities, and, and global banking regulations, we're, we're happy to help. So, and that would apply even if the project did not raise any money from U.S. investors, right? It doesn't matter. Yeah, and I would say our role here is more so uh, compliance and helping get something redistributed uh, mm -hmm. than it is sort of a fundraise. But, 
you know, our, our platform's configurable to the point where it can sort of service any sort of compliance automation. And so, you know, we've helped with a lot of fundraises. We've done a bunch of airdrops uh, where there is a compliance program that needs to be followed. Um, token distributions, uh, we can help with just general civil resistance um, in token distributions. And, you know, we've gotten into servicing hackathons as well. A lot of folks are now using TokenSoft for for hackathons or just random corner cases where they need they need to follow uh, you know a compliance program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because I, I I I don't I didn't do this analysis, but I can bet you that like statistically probably ninety five percent of of the token issuance were probably not hundred percent compliant. So I I would just imagine what would what. Uh, what efforts would it take to actually come back and to redistribute them? Like, you know, again, like, you know, it's, 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 it means that according to your, um, you know, perspective and, you know, how, how you, you guys think, see the world, like we're operating in a very gray area as an industry. I mean, and, uh, which is, which is fine. It's probably where we are right now. Like, and we just have to admit it <laughs> and understand what, how can we move forward? from here right you know uh and i'm sure there's going to be a lot of degens like hardcore degens who would probably be completely not happy with uh with this particular strategy and they would say that probably it's against the bitcoin core like you know na narratives etc cetera, etc cetera, right yet we're still in a very um in a very practical world where regulations and governments exist and we have to comply somehow with them right so you're your role here is kind of try to find the middle, middle grounds between the centralized worlds and centralized worlds and products that how can we make sure it's working together? Is this a correct assumption yeah. if I would summarize it? We're basically a, a sort of a layer um, for any tokens that want to come into the world. Um, it's, it's sort of, you know, there's going to be existing regulations. Gonna, there's going to have to be some rules that have to be followed. And so we're sort of that layer uh, in between the projects first being developed and the tokens coming out there into the world. And, you know, it's, it's a hard problem because even, even myself, you know, a lot of the folks in the space are highly technical and we're really good at software development. We're really good at, you know, pushing out a lot of code and, you know, we, we build a project, we put it out there. And, uh, now we learn that there's all these laws and regulations that we have to follow. And that's sort of how I got into the space is I built a bunch of tech and a year later I went to talk to lawyers and I learned that, you know, there's all these complex laws and licensing and, and all this stuff that's necessary. And as a person that likes to do things the right way, I like to, I'm the kind of person that likes to follow the rules. I like to do things the right way. I'm concerned about my reputation, my career. And so for me, it was really important to follow the regulations that are out there. And so, that's sort of how I landed in this spot. And I think our role now is to sort of, you know, for those developers that are out there that are, that just want to code, they don't want to be sort of regulatory or legal and compliance experts. We're sort of happy to help them get over that, uh, that chasm and help them uh, get back to focusing on just coding and, and pushing out products and, mm -hmm. and get sort of past gray area where, they don't know, you know, what are all the rules I have to follow? You know, they don't, they don't necessarily, they're not compliance experts and they don't want to be. And that's, and it's another interesting point. Cause you know, I, I, I would assume that right now to be more, even more specific, we're talking about the primary offering when, when the, when people are trying to release the token, right. With a particular intent to fundraise it, like, you know, it's either it's the first time, second time, but still like to fundraise. And then from there listed somewhere, because as we talked about, in the first example, like in one of the or second example where the token is already listed, then it becomes redundant because it's already like, it's already out there, right? So people can trade it. They can do a lot of things. So it will be really, really hard to delist it from exchanges and then to go burn the existing token or do the swap. I mean, it, it's doable, right? As you mentioned, it, there are, there are methodologies. But who would do that, right? If if it's already operating, so mostly you're focusing on primary offerings of the companies that, like, either haven't launched their token yet, or maybe it's launched in a very kind of hybrid model of a DAO. Let's assume, right? And it's still kind of like it have might have a different utility or maybe another synthetic additional token. 
Is this a, another assumption that we can talk about? Yeah, I, th I think that's right. So whether it's a DAO, whether, you know, it's it's a centralized company that's developing some software that has you know tokens involved in some way, we're sort of the the layer that helps get it into the market in inception. Mm -hmm. And and so that's sort of ourselves in our role. And with DAO, I assume it's even harder because then like legally, then you will have to deal with a very different structure, you know, like it's with centralized entity, it's kind of, it's a bit easier. So you have board of directors or shareholders now with a DAO, like, you know, it still has a legal representation, but I assume it's a little bit more complex. So I think what happened um, in DeFi summer is a lot of people saw the term DAO and the act of launching a DAO as a way to get to market faster without following regulations. Mm -hmm. And and so you saw a lot of anonymous teams, you saw a lot of, you know, treasuries just held in multi-sig wallets. And it's kind of funny, you know, one or two years in, it, it's sort of, you know, they start to realize, uh, wait, am I personally liable? Uh, how do I do, how do I pay taxes? How do I, you know, all, all these sort of uh, questions that usually you ask when you start a normal company and sort of, and so DAOs sort of started there and now they're back at square one where, oh, actually you have to do all of the exact same things that any other project was doing before, uh, before this became buzzword. And so, you know, everyone's back at square one and it's like, well, the process for launching a token before is actually the exact same as launching a DAO today. It's like, you do need an entity to be the issuer. Uh, you do need uh, a legal structure. Uh, you do need bank accounts because people want to get paid in their bank. Uh, they want to get paid in cash. Uh, they want healthcare. Uh, you're going to want to pay taxes through a corporate entity. So you're not paying taxes yourself personally. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of funny. We, we, we sort of saw the space, see the term DAO as permission to do anything. And over time, as people want to do things right, you know, more professionals get involved. We're back at square one. And so, you know, if, if anyone is launching a token or a DAO out there, I would definitely, you know, have a casual conversation with, with a law firm. You don't need to have them on, you know, retainer or have a formal uh, agreement. Just at least get familiar with, you know, what you should be worried about and when is the right time to worry about this, this type of stuff. Yeah. So coming back to some fun news, like, cause we we're talking about like technical compliance stuff, like, you know, remember in 2016, you have, uh, shared that, that, you know, that you pre-ordered a Tesla model three using Bitcoin, right? And then, uh, are you still buying the Tesla for Bitcoins or not anymore? Or you're, or, or you're hodling? Uh, I've made a few bad decisions with <laughs> respect to my Bitcoin over time. Okay. Um, first one that happened concurrently with you know ordering the tesla with bitcoin was uh paying my rent in bitcoin oh what well, when was uh, that so that was, that was 2015 2016. oh wow that's expensive rent <laughs> yeah. and uh the second mistake was uh you know i was like you know it'd be kind of interesting is if i could purchase a tesla with bitcoin and so I used a app out there, which is uh, still in the market today called ShakePay. And I used that to send in Bitcoin uh, and to have that convert to cash to, to send to Tesla on the other side. And so I, I pre-ordered a Tesla Model 3 uh, at that point uh, for Bitcoin, uh, which I later canceled because it took too long. And <laughs> so that was the second worst thing I've ever made with Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, so, so today, uh, it's a lot harder to get me to part with my Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't do it. Um, this is not a challenge. Uh, it's just harder for me to uh, to spend my Bitcoin these days. Because you don't need to, and you're huddling. Any price point that you would consider maybe like cashing out a little bit or not? <laughs> Um, I, I see Bitcoin as sort of like a 401k where it's super long-term. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of fun for me. Like I genuinely like the technology. I think, uh, I think it's really cool. I think a lot of the elements of it are really interesting. And so, 
Uh, I haven't thought about cashing out uh, the Bitcoin yet. I'm sort of just looking at it on a very long term. It was sort of my first passion in the space. And uh, I still, you know, sort of see it as a model and a North Star uh, for, for the crypto space. Mm -hmm. Now, we are in the end of 2022. It was, uh, I mean, it's already December. It's a, it's a hardcore year for everyone. Like I would say, like, you know, the... The war, you know, Ukraine and Russia, the, the 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 bear market, like you know, from multiple like you know explosions, you know, like ranging from FTXs of the world, block Voyagers, like three errors, etc. Now, what do you think? Here, let's speculate a little bit about the projections of 2023, and if you go, if you want to go a little bit to, to, to the 2024, how long will the bear market last, according to you, and what are the efficient strategies how to survive the bear market? So I think when I'm thinking of uh, price points, uh, you know, I've sold a Bitcoin 20K hat. Uh, I've also sold a Bitcoin 100K hat because I thought I wouldn't need the Bitcoin 20K hat again. Uh, last week I got, you know, I had the opportunity to wear the Bitcoin 20K hat again. Um, so I think if we're looking at like bear market and recovery, I think these things usually last one to two years. Mm -hmm. I think there was, we saw Three Arrows Capital go down. We saw Terra and Luna go down. The one no one was expecting, I feel like, was FTX, except for a few geniuses that I've uh, spoken to the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. And I think the FTX thing caused a scare with Genesis. So we saw a lot of folks start to question Genesis as well. You know, a very long well-established platform uh billions in holdings mm -hmm. a very good reputation and i think it's going to take some time to see you know how else this shakes out you know with ftx going down it affected a lot of funds treasuries it affected a lot of startups treasuries and so i think in the next six months we'll perhaps be out of the worst of the worst and we'll see you know what other startups were affected um, but, uh, I think hopefully, you know, by the end of the year, we'll start to see a little bit more confidence restored. Uh, we'll hopefully see, you know, people focusing on the great tech that everyone's building. There's a lot of great teams, a lot of smart people continue to build good products. And I just think it takes a little bit of a shift in the news cycle for the market to be a little bit more optimistic, mm -hmm. to be a lot more happy and, and to sort of bring new folks into the space. So... I'm sort of thinking end of 2023, we'll start to see that narrative change and we'll start to see fo people focused on, you know, what are the great things that are people building out there and, you know, what's what's actually, you know, interesting about the technology. 100%, I agree. And uh, it's... Uh... It's interesting because what I, I mean, it's, it's going to be also my third cycle in the space. And like what I've noticed that it's right about like three to four months, roughly, you know, before the halving that's happening, which so we, we don't know exactly where, when it's going to happen, but preliminary, what we know is that between somewhere between the February and June. So maybe April, maybe May. But I, I believe like, yeah, if you, if you account this logic that like a quarter before, which is, presumably like it's end of 2023 like people starting to bring this hype oh the happening is happening like and then there is entire excite excitement coming because he's you know cz in his interview recently said, said like you know bitcoin is still a barometer it's still an index of the health of the entire industry right if bitcoin is healthy then everything follows right so yeah i think it's a very accurate you know assumption that for now we're probably gonna have another year of bear market which is again opportunity for a lot of folks to get into the space cheaply actually a lot of um all my friends they're actually buying right now like top 10 you know like again not an investment advice but just just saying you know like it's sometimes you want to get into the particular token just you because you believe sincerely in the project it can be a layer one big project that you know that they have huge partnerships and you do believe it's going to develop like and become an infrastructure of the future so and now is the time you know to consider it right not when it's already peaking as most of the people are coming into um now from your vantage point like again like you know you're a builder you're a creator of a successful platform you helped uh, uh, a lot of other platforms so what other aspects excite you right now besides what you do let's let's talk about like something that really 
one of the applications that you recently came up to, whether it's crypto or NFT or something related to our space, did you personally use and you're actually excited about it? Yeah. So I, you know, as, as a, as someone with a technology background, I'm always drawn to sort of new innovative tech. And so I think in the last cycle, we saw a lot of copy, copycat projects. Mm -hmm. um, so or loan platforms that are sort of hopping from chain to chain uh, in this, you know, with a similar code base or the same code base. Um, and I think I've, I've sort of only seen a few novel things come up in uh, recent times. Um, so one thing that's sort of interesting is uh, that I'm excited about right now is hash flow. And mm. so that takes a RFQ model for trading and applies it to to the DeFi space. And so you have, uh, you can do small block, large block trades with no slippage. And I sort of think the AMM model was really good for bootstrapping mm -hmm. uh, in DeFi summer, you know, when things were new and the market is small and young. And I think a lot of the infrastructure that's out there is going to converge in traditional formats. Um, so I think we'll probably see more on-chain order books. We'll see uh, folks like Hashflow with with you know their RFQ model for a, sort of a better AMM, uh, and I think that we'll see you know stuff like that. Like the layer two uh, scalability layer is there; it's proven, it's trusted now, uh, and so we're going to see people that are more comfortable with scale uh, sort of coming onto onto the blockchain. And I think Polygon is doing a really good good job of that of bringing major brands onto the blockchain and uh, doing it at scale. And so that's another platform, you know, I'm, I'm interested in because they're able to get partnerships that no one else is able to get into. And I think part of it was first mover advantage. Part of it was, you know, great business development uh, relationships and the ability to execute there. And so that's been really interesting to follow. Um, I think other interesting things are sort of the uh, bootstrapping of real world networks um, using a token incentivized model. Uh, we see that with uh, with Helium. Uh, I believe there's another platform, Pollen, uh, and uh, Demo Network uh, that's doing that. Uh, Demo is is more so uh, taking car data, collecting car data, aggregating, anonymizing it, reselling it. And I think those are sort sort of some of a few things that I think are kind of interesting, new, and different. And you know, I'd encourage any sort of innovators out there that are building. Um, it's not about sort of the incremental improvements that we can make in the space, but, you know, how do you get uh, another, you know, billion users onto the blockchain? I think it's going to be very new novel use cases that no one is implementing today. And so I think, you know, the Helium Pollen demo is sort of doing that. We didn't quite think about those things before, um, but, you know, someone was able to think in a new different format and be bold enough to bring those to market. And so they, they really took off. So. I think that's that's what I'm excited to see in the space is just things that I wasn't expecting. Really interesting. Now I have a personal question, and I specifically don't notify any of my guests about this question because I want it to be as genuine as possible as an answer. So um, now I want to ask you the most important yeah. question, which I think right, it, it there is some planet Earth, right? What is the meaning of life to you, Mason? <laughs> uh, the meaning of life. Uh, we're on this planet for a finite amount of time. And, uh, you know, if you do nothing, it's really boring. So it's really important to keep yourself busy and it's important to, uh, sort of leave the world in a better place, uh, than when you arrived. And so I think the meaning of life is to, uh, spend time on things that are meaningful that sort of improve, uh, the human condition. And, uh, and that's what we should spend, uh, you know, most of our time doing. Uh, and so that's, that's sort of how I see it. I think it's very, uh, very good way to, to look at it. It's very concise and straight to the point. Uh, Mason, really interesting to learn from you. Really amazing, like thoughts. And I, I hope like people who will watch it will, will enjoy it. We'll share all the information about uh, TokenSoft. Like if you have some guidelines or anything, we're also going to provide them that, you know, like so that we'll have people have better understanding of how they can participate, whether they're launching a new token or just want to read and understand more about your platform. And yeah, we'll share all your information, uh, uh, whether all the social media, they can follow you. Uh, you can share more information about what 
other fancy car you're buying for Bitcoin, maybe closer to 2024. <laughs> so, or maybe you're, you want, you maybe you're just going to tease people and say like, oh, you know what? I'm going to huddle. Uh, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Really appreciate it.